Chapter Thirty of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Thirty. And for unfelt imaginations, they often feel a world of restless cares. Shakespeare. Little weaned the good ladies of Glenfern the ungracious reception their protégée was likely to experience from her mother, for in spite of the defects of her education, Mary was a general favorite in the family, and however they might solace themselves by depreciating her to Mrs. Douglas, to the world in general, and their young female acquaintances in particular, she was upheld as an epitome of every perfection above and below the sun. Had it been possible for them to conceive that Mary could have been received with anything short of rapture, Lady Juliana's letter might in some measure have opened the eyes of their understanding. But to the guileless sisters it seemed everything that was proper. Sorry for the necessity Mrs. Douglas felt under of parting with her adopted daughter was prettily expressed. Had no doubt it was merely a slight nervous affection, was kind and soothing and the assurance, more than once repeated, that her friends might rely upon her being returned to them in the course of a very few months, showed a great deal of feeling and consideration. But as their minds never maintained a just equilibrium long upon any subject, but like falsely adjusted scales were ever hovering and vibrating at either extreme, so they could not rest satisfied in the belief that Mary was to be happy. There must be something to counteract that stilling sentiment and that was the apprehension that Mary would be spoilt. This, for the present, was the pendulum of their imaginations. I declare, Mary, my sisters and I could get no sleep last night for thinking of you, said Miss Grizzy. We are all certain that Lady Juliana especially, but indeed all your English relations, will think so much of you, from not knowing you, you know, which will be quite natural. I'm sure that my sisters and I have taken it into our heads, but I hope it won't be the case, as you have a great deal of good sense of your own, that they will quite turn your head. Mary's head is on her shoulders to little purpose, followed up Miss Jackie, if she can't stand being made of when she goes among strangers, and she ought to know by this time that a mother's partiality is no proof of a child's merit. You hear that, Mary? rejoined Miss Grizzy. So I'm sure I hope you won't mind a word that your mother says to you. I mean about yourself. For of course you know she can't be such a good judge of you as us, who have known you all your life. As to other things, I dare say she is very well informed about the country and politics and these sort of things. I'm certain Lady Juliana knows a great deal. And I hope, Mary, you will take care and not get into the dawdlin' handless ways of the English women," said Miss Nicky. I wouldn't give a pin for an English woman. And I hope you will never look at an Englishman, Mary," said Miss Grizzy, with equal earnestness. Take my word for it. They are a very dissipated, unprincipled set. They all drink and game and keep racehorses, and many of them, I'm told, even keep play-actresses. So you may think what it would be for all of us if you were to marry any of them, and tears stream from the good spinster's eyes at the bare supposition of such a calamity. Don't be afraid, my dear aunt, said Mary with a kind caress. I shall come back to you your own Highland Mary. No Englishman with his round face and trimmed meadows shall ever captivate me. Heath-covered hills and high cheekbones are the charms that must win my heart. I'm delighted to hear you say so, my dear Mary, said the literal-minded Grizzy. 
certainly nothing can be prettier than the heather when it's in flower and there is something very manly nobody can dispute that in high cheekbones and besides to tell you a secret lady maclaughlan has a husband in her eye for you we none of us can conceive who it is but of course he must be suitable in every respect for you know lady maclaughlan has had three husbands herself so of course she must be an excellent judge of a good husband or a bad one said mary which is the same thing warning is as good as example mrs douglas's ideas and those of her aunt did not coincide upon this occasion more than upon most others in her sister-in-law's letter she flattered herself she saw only fashionable indifference and she fondly hoped that would soon give way to a tenderer sentiment as her daughter became known to her at any rate it was proper that mary should make the trial and whatever way it ended it must be for her advantage mary has already lived too long in these mountain solitudes thought she her ideas will become romantic and her taste fastidious if it is dangerous to be too early initiated into the ways of the world it is perhaps equally so to live too long secluded from it should she make herself a place in the heart of her mother and sister it will be so much happiness gained and should it prove otherwise it will be a lesson learnt a hard one indeed but hard are the lessons we must all learn in the school of life yet mrs douglas's fortitude almost failed her as the period of separation approached it had been arranged by lady emily that a carriage and servants should meet mary at edinburgh whither mr douglas was to convey her the cruel moment came and mother sister relations friends all the bright visions which mary's sanguine spirit had conjured up to soften the parting pang all were absorbed in one agonizing feeling one overwhelming thought oh who that for the first time has parted from the parent whose tenderness and love were entwined with our earliest recollections whose sympathy had soothed our infant sufferings whose fondness had brightened our infant felicity who that has a heart but must have felt it sink beneath the anguish of a first farewell yet bitterer still must be the feelings of the parent upon committing the cherished object of their cares and affections to the stormy ocean of life when experience points to the gathering cloud and rising surge which soon may assail their defenceless child what can support the mother's heart but trust in him whose eye slumbereth not and whose power extendeth over all it was this pious hope this holy confidence that enabled this more than mother to part from her adopted child with a resignation which no earthly motive could have imparted to her mind it seems almost profanation to mingle with her elevated feelings the coarse yet simple sorrows of the aunts old and young as they clung around the nearly lifeless mary each tendering the parting gift they had kept as a solace for the last poor miss grizzy was more than usually incoherent as she displayed a nice new umbrella that could be turned into a nice walking-stick or anything and a dressing-box with a little of everything in it and with a fresh burst of tears mary was directed where she would not find eye ointment and where she was not to look for sticking-plaster miss jacky was more composed as she presented a flaming copy of fordyce's sermons to young women with a few suitable observations 
but Miss Nicky could scarcely find voice to tell that the housewife she now tendered had once been Lady Grinegall's, and that it contained white chapel needles of every size and number. The younger ladies had clubbed for the purchase of a large locket, in which was enshrined a lock from each subscriber, tastefully arranged by the jeweller in the form of a wheat sheaf upon a blue ground. Even old Donald had his offering, and as he stood tottering at the chaise door, he contrived to get a bit snish and mole laid on Mary's lap, with a God bless her bonny face, and may she ne'er want a good sneesh. The carriage drove off, and for a while Mary's eyes were closed in despair. End of chapter 30 Recording by Patty Cunningham